Could your reality use a little augmentation? You're listening to the AR episode of the Tech Drops podcast with Timbot and guest JT. Let's get into it. Okay, welcome everyone. You are listening to Tech Drops, and this is another special episode. I have a guest with me on the show this week. Uh, Brian is off on adventures post-graduation. Brian, if you are listening to the show, and you better be, dude, uh, you know, hurry back. We got a lot of stuff to do. But in the meantime, we have JT with us, which makes me pretty excited. Uh, JT is a recent grad of uh, Ryerson. And uh, kind of a uh, aficionado of augmented reality. So we are wow. making this the AR episode. <laughs> hello, hello. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you, thank you. Um, how, do you uh, how do you feel being a new grad? You feel honest, different, like more honestly, powerful and stuff? A week ago, I think I was an emotional mess. Right now, <laughs> I feel liberated and free. Ah, nice, nice, yeah. yes. Yeah. You got to keep that going. Avoid yeah. uh, avoid the post graduation crash. Oh yeah, no way. Um, <laughs> it's so funny you mentioned that because I was literally just talking to um, my uh, my my colleague boss, uh, just this guy that I've been working for at uh, at this fabrication lab. We just we just talk about a lot of stuff, and one of the things that I mentioned to him uh, was that I'm I'm keeping up my like to do list basically uh, yeah. of like I'm putting on like very mundane tasks to just have the feeling of still having something to do when uh, everything yes. is done and having nothing to do. Yes. So um, <laughs> there are such funny things in there, like just email my dad. Like just <laughs> say like, hey, like, or show him pictures of my work. Or, you know? <laughs> Check. <laughs> Exa- exactly. <laughs> no, that's, that's smart, man. Yeah. Like um, you, I once worked with uh, somebody who was like a salesperson, and they mostly worked remotely, but they would still, uh, you know, get up and get dressed for work kind of thing, just to get in that mentality and get in the mode of being productive. Uh, I think like rit- rituals and routines like that are really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, so let's let's get into talking a little bit about augmented reality. It's um, it's an interesting subject. Very. And um, I think probably one of the first things we should cover for for the listeners is like, you know, everyone's heard of augmented reality, um, but I think there's a little bit of confusion between what is augmented reality and what is virtual reality. Yeah, like I, I hear those things used interchangeably. Um, can you, you've been working with the technology. Can you give a little summary of like what the differences are? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, that's um, basically... Uh, to put it as simply as I can, virtual reality is basically um, the act of uh, removing the, the physical surrounding that you have mm. and just basically submerging yourself into a virtual uh, environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why VR is usually attributed to like closed off headsets, basically. So you wear the headset and you wear like maybe potentially like a he- pair of headphones and you just experience what is around you virtually. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with an AR application or augmented reality application, you are typically augmenting reality um, where, I mean, and to do this, you probably need some type of screen. Um, and you, your your physical surroundings sort of is the stage for uh, AR to exist on. 
And it's part of the mixed reality spectrum at the end of the day, which is sort of like if you were to talk about mixed reality, which is MR, it would be like the combination of both. Oh, man. Now there's a third term. Yeah, there is. Ah, yeah, I I'm keep already falling it. behind. I keep seeing it on like a whole bunch of, um, you know, tech blogs and uh, articles and stuff. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I have heard the term um, MR associated with HoloLens. And, um, I mean, it isn't for us. It's going to be super pricey. Uh, they're looking at industrial applications. Yeah, I mean, the HoloLens first one <laughs> is uh, so expensive. I, I, from what I remember, I, re I recall around the price point of $8,000. Yeah. Um, I, I, I know about another company that uh, is doing something very similar, but they're priced a little bit less, which is Magic Leap. Magic Leap. Yeah, um, yeah. We're going to talk about those guys. Yeah. Continue. Yeah. But yeah, um, I, I think that the space of augmented reality headsets as like along with like like in the similar vein as VR headsets, I think that AR headsets are very, very exciting mm -hmm. um, because I think AR's main limitation is the uh, is, is the need for like a, a screen. And most of the t most of the time it's like an iPad or, or a smartphone screen. Yeah. Um, however, it, you know. People like like people that um, don't aren't like into the tech world have been using and 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 uh, basically yeah has been, have been using AR for a while and that's primarily through their filters on Snapchat yeah. and Instagram right. Um, right which is really interesting it is interesting um, like the concept behind this technology has been around for a while mm -hmm. um, years ago. I'm thinking years ago, this is probably around like 2010, something like that. Um, there was something called FLAR, uh, which was a flash-based augmented reality kit. Wow. Um, it used um, things like QR markers and so forth uh, for anchoring the augmented reality experience. And it just worked using webcams and stuff like that. Um, worked surprisingly well, even back then. Uh, I feel like people don't necessarily know where the technology is going to catch hold mm -hmm. in terms of like a large user base adoption. Uh, I feel like that was intended to happen with gaming. Yeah. VR gaming was going to, you know, sort of take over everything. Yeah. Um, but as often happens, probably too much hype created. Yeah. By people speculating who are just super excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah. Uh, it, that, you know, it, there's there's steady growth in VR gaming, but there isn't, hasn't been the kind of large-scale takeover of gaming. Yeah, VR gaming is an interesting sphere because from what I've seen personally, um, it usually involves around, like, the idea of, like, someone creating a VR application uh, that utilizes virtual reality first and foremost, and then implements the game mechanics. Interesting. Um, it's sort of like Beat Saber, or that's that's the first one that comes to mind because that's like a really popular VR game. There's others. Uh, like, oh, um, Space Pirate Simulator. Space Pirate Simulator, <laughs> and then there's also, but then there's also games that were first and foremost created as games, and then later like implemented as VR games. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting how they go about that space. 
Um, there's been games like Super Hot that eventually, you know, that they, they did VR as well. Uh, there's games like even even a game that I th- would never have imagined would be VR. Uh, there was a Tomb Raider game that mm. eventually became virtual reality, but like w- like I, I I wouldn't imagine that to have happened through a third person uh, control scheme. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that's really interesting. Um, but you're right. Yeah, v- VR games are in an interesting sp- space where they are kind of just VR games first, and th- like I don't know any many VR games that like were born purely as VR games and are like have like an impeccable storyline or something. Right, right. Um, maybe yeah. I just haven't gone enough. I haven't played enough on Steam, but I think there's a few factors that can come into play. Um, I, I think you're right. Like. Uh, I have a friend who pretty much gave up any like he he's he's a major gamer and he pretty much gave up all other games mm-hmm. once he discovered VR and really? he pretty much only plays VR. He's the only person I know like that. Wow. But he's clocked more time in VR than any human I could ever imagine. Um, to the point where game companies consult with him now to oh. when they're looking to build things in VR. Wow. And um, uh, he's he's got a bunch of the top scores, uh, which is pretty impressive because you got to put a lot of time in it. Yeah. And um, so, you know, he, he got me using VR and so forth. And I don't know. Uh, I think, number one, there's a fatigue factor. Yeah. So having, like, a really immersive experience, like, you, you know – how many hours did I put on Metal Gear? You know, I'm probably not going to be able to put that in on VR. Exactly. Yeah, it's the same thing for me with games like uh, I don't know, like Final Fantasy, for example. You know, playing a game for sixty plus hours, I, yeah. I, I would need to take a break in, uh, in a VR headset. You know, it's a lot to be so engaged for so long. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, it's also pretty intense. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the whole sweaty face factor uh, going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I, Motion sickness. Yeah, like yeah. When, when VR was first really, you know, catching the public interest, I would have a lot of clients asking about it. And um, I pitched a lot of work based on it, um, put together a lot of estimates and so forth. And it generally would not go ahead for the simple factor that... Uh, they're kind of it's kind of an isolated experience. It's exactly my same opinion. Um, I, I do find that the the main caveat of VR is its exclusionary like yeah. experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it is a great thing to experience alone in the evening, at night, whatever. Um, like watching something, like playing something. It's it's not. I find it to be not the best when it's used as like a like uh, a project where people would be watching or people would be uh, mm-hmm. interacting with yeah that's where i see the potential in ar yes i agreed um and i think a lot of clients are going to feel the same way mm-hmm. um if they're spending the kind of development dollars that it takes to do an experience like that well they want to get a lot of eyeballs on and yeah. they want to get a lot of media mention, a lot of sharing and posting and social activity and so forth. And VR doesn't really lend itself to that kind of thing mm-hmm. um, in its current iteration anyway. Um, so I do think that there's probably, and, and we've seen a couple of like 
pretty good examples of augmented reality. Um, like, for example, um, uh, I would say that Pokemon Go is yeah. a pretty good example. I, I'm Poke not sure people really think of it as augmented reality, but it totally is. It checks all Absolutely the boxes. Absolutely, it is. And it was probably AR's first, like, mighty, like, entry into the world mm -hmm. for consumers, I would say. Yeah. Um, there was Google's uh, project prior. I'm trying to remember what the name of it was. Uh, Location-based game, um, sort of like taking over bases. And oh, so interesting. They, yeah, I'd have to look it up. Um, but it preceded Pokemon Go. I think the developers of Pokemon Go actually contributed on it, and then that's kind of how they um, branched out to, to making mm -hmm. Pokemon Go. So mm -hmm. um, I think one thing that I... I think that uh, I've been playing around with uh, just from my thesis, and we spoke about it a little bit previously. But I, one thing that I think is really going to, like, really in it, in it, in it's a technology that of AR that is in its infancy that I think is going to be so applicable for so many things is um, is the recent, somewhat recent uh, system that Vuforia. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know what Vuforia is, it's basically this. Uh, open source, uh, free to develop with um, AR system, AR engine basically, and it integrates itself with Unity game engine. Mm -hmm. So you're really able, really easily able to um, develop with it to learn how to like, you know, easily like spawn like little characters on top of an image or like ground plane surfacing detection, whatever. But one thing that I, I think that they've really hit like the nail like on the like coffin whatever is just their uh their model target system mm -hmm. um their, their model target system is so amazing <laughs> so what is what's a model target system for our basic yeah basically it's this system that um essentially it's a new system that uh comes with a generator where you upload a cad or 3d uh file to it and then you save that uh, that that screenshot basically that it it takes of your three D model of your CAD file, and then you put it inside of Unity or the uh, Vuforia um, SDK, and then you uh, essentially allow that to be a predetermined trackable object. So interesting. Let's say you wanted to track a car, mm -hmm. and that car is huge, right? Car cars are large objects to track. You can get a 3D model of said car and um, uh, basically upload it to the the tracker, and then um, it line up the stencil with the car, and it will detect the car. And then you, everything else is like digitally worked. It's yeah. like you make the animations, or you make like the interactions in Unity or the. Uh, Vuforia SDK. So can you describe how you used that? Like, yeah. let's talk about your thesis sure, a little sure. bit here. I had a hell of a good time with it, <laughs> but I, I'd love for you to describe it in your words. Yeah, I'll try my best. I, I usually go off tangents, but I'll try not to. Um, essentially, what I did was I um, created a virtual model um, that uh, was both replicated in physical phys, phys, physical well physically and virtually um and the way that i i had to do that was basically creating a virtual a virtual model inside of a 3d model and program i put i kind of created like this city landscape and then i saved that as a 3d model and then um 
put that into the Vuforia model target generator. And then um, from there, I just used that 3D model in it as, a, as like a, a virtual um, target yeah. and uh, lined it up with the physical replica to assess, oh wait, so like this is where like I, like I detect, I am detecting the same model physically. So I'm going to spawn whatever virtual items it has to go over top of it. And I did all of that in Unity. Yeah. Um, which is, which also is like free to use software. Yeah. It, Not open source, but free to use. It, so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a little bit hard to explain completely because uh, it's super like, I don't know, um, crazy. The way that I, well, I, I... I can explain my experience with it. Yeah, for sure. Like, I didn't know the technical side of things. I just had um, to be really careful with, like, the scale and layout because yeah, um, I was trying I to... See that. I was trying to mimic or create an illusion of a character bumping into physical objects. So, yeah. like, the scale had to be one-to-one -one between the physical object that I was manufacturing via 3D printing and, la and laser cutting acrylic. And then in my like 3D modeling program, the yeah. model that I had yeah. of of the exact same physical. Yeah, system. because uh, like so so for for the listeners at home, um, uh, I experienced it. Um, my experience was uh, first off curiosity as I'm coming up to this display because there is definitely a very physical aspect to it mm -hmm. so there's all of these um scale models of buildings there's some kind of an interesting scene going on there's like a large um statue very <laughs> prominent statue in the middle of this world and uh right away you know i'm interested in that um but as you approach it you're just kind of greeted with a tablet that is there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at first you might be thinking like, oh, this is like going to play a video or give me some information about this world. But as you pick it up, it's sort of prompting you with this overlay image of the world that you're looking at. And I think what, what you're describing here is the key point. When I lift that up and I point it in the direction of the city, it's quickly able to recognize and launch me into the augmented reality experience. Now, in the past, when I've worked in augmented reality, there's always these kind of training steps that you need to do to get the experience working. And you would have to be pointing at, you know, the, the device at something like a QR code. Mm -hmm. And maybe that QR code doesn't fit for the experience that you're trying to do. It looks out of place. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. You know, taking that away... And making it so it's like it just recognizes the scene and it launches you into it pretty seamlessly. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And then after that, you're, you know, there's very little training to be done. Uh, you're walking around, you're peering around the corners of this. Uh, and then uh, the other thing I like is like you're, you're meeting characters mm -hmm. in this world. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about the, the characters yeah. that you created for the world? Yeah, no, of course. Um, so... Like from the get-go, um, I wanted to uh, not give too many instructions to mm -hmm. the user. Yeah. And that was both like a blessing and a curse because um, the lack of instructions um, sort of, it was sort of a method of wanting to uh, encourage exploration for the user. Mm -hmm. um, but it also uh, 
hurt the experience, the overall, like the actual the uh, project itself a little bit because some people looked at it as like, oh, it's a 3D printed diorama. This is really cool. And there's a bunch of like objects here and it looks beautiful. And then they walk right past the iPad. Ah. Um, some some people did pick up the iPad and they're like, oh, this is this looks like it's connected to the environment. They pick it up, but they don't move around. They ah. don't they don't clue into like you basically have the freedom to navigate mm. the whole table. Um, feel free to move around. Your hands basically are the camera to this world. Uh-huh. Where you place yourself is going to be where the you yeah. And um, not having not not displaying those instructions I'll, like like took away from those experiences mm. that I felt some users could have had. Um, but at the same time, somehow children got it. Ah. Like young kids, they really got it. Like huh. they picked up the iPad. They lined it up. They lined the stencil up with the the 3D table, the, the, huh. the physical table, and then they just went the whole way around. They knew that the joystick controlled a character. They knew huh. that the character could go around the environment, and they knew that they could themselves walk, like uh, hold the uh, the iPad hmm. around at all angles. And I guess I had a really good conversation with 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 you about that. Um, and and it was. And, and it was just so fascinating to know that it's just the differences in generations and mm-hmm. how they perceive technology. Right, right. Yeah, yeah because um, older generations, I <laughs> uh, feel like I can speak for them. Um, you know, it's like, and honestly, not even that long ago, like Mm-mm. television actually hasn't been with us all that long in terms of like world history. It really hasn't, no. Um, but it was always uh, like the television was kind of like the center of a room mm-hmm. that you would gather around. And, you know, it's viewed as rude or obnoxious to be moving in front of the television yeah. or moving around yeah. or making noise while TV yeah, is, was, is on. <laughs> it was sort of like let the technology work for itself. You know, yeah. like, like, and it's so funny, right? Because when TV first came out, people were think were afraid of it they were like yeah. oh this is gonna destroy young people or this is gonna you know change the way that we all socialize or something and it 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 maybe did minimally but now people are saying that again about right. the internet or sure something, they or said it media. about books at one point oh you God. know like yeah. book burnings and so forth because the average person shouldn't be reading they're gonna ruin their mind mm-hmm. and then, uh, you know you you hear these arguments come up over and over again every mm-hmm. time there's some kind of step forward or lateral step in in terms of media mm-hmm. but yeah usually kids are fairly resilient with that kind of thing like yeah. i was a kid when video games came out and mm-hmm. everyone was afraid that you know coin-op arcades were going to be the ruin of uh of everyone mm-hmm. and uh now you know it's like I feel like a lot of people wish coin-op arcades would come back because, I know, you yeah. know, <laughs> like, it's a good place to know your kids are there and they're not going yeah. anywhere. And um, so, so in terms of augmented reality, you know, maybe there's something to that. Like maybe younger generations are just going to fit into it a little easier. Um, it's really interesting because like 
I would bet probably those kids had not really experienced a lot of AR experiences before. It's not like they're doing something that they had done previously or been trained in. No, you're right. They're just kind of picking it up as they yeah. go because they're not afraid to make those associations yeah. and try things. I don't know. I don't know what has changed that has given them more agency than some of the other folks that uh, no. picked up the iPads. But yeah. um, I was really happy to see it. I was also very fascinated um, by the pattern, by the difference, by the... Um, but then I also, like, admitted to myself, like, oh, like, I can see where I may have made some mistakes, like, mm. I, where, like, flaws might exist. Um, but it's, you know, technology, especially, like, this, like, super-duper... I don't know, like advanced technology in the eyes of like the general person, right? This super advanced technology, which is v VR, AR and MR, you know, it's, I think it's all still very like it, it, it's, ev it's, it's in an evolutionary state. Definitely. Um, Definitely. I, th I think that there are really good things to come out of this, but you just have to be patient. Yeah, um, sure. And the same can be applied to something like 3D printing. I think mm -hmm. 3D printing has mass. I think it already has had massive imp like impact in the yeah. world. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Yeah. Um, even just in terms of waking people up to the idea of... Um, it's kind of To me, it's kind of like desktop publishing all over again. Yeah. When Quark came out way back when, and people are like, oh my God, I can make my own newspaper. Mm -hmm. uh, this is mind blowing. Yeah. And is, it, is this along the time, the same time frame where blogs became a huge thing? Or predating it, really. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, blogs following desktop, the desktop publishing revolution. Um, desktop publishing, even before the internet was, was a big thing, was yeah. kind of upsetting things because prior to that, um, it, it's kind of like video production today. Uh, you know, you can pick up a really good camera and be shooting great videos and make your own documentaries mm -hmm. and put your stuff in film festivals and so forth. But you used to have to have a publishing deal. Yeah. And a very expensive, you know, piece of gear that would stop a lot of people from doing it. It used to be the same with publishing where, you know, you needed a printing press. <laughs> you know and oh man it was like hugely regulated and so forth it was very very yeah, difficult that, to get anything published yeah and then somebody was like well here's some software and a personal computer mm -hmm. and guess what you can do what those publishing guys are doing like but you know what the amazing thing is about this like vr technology and everything is that it was tried and done before mm. you know like around the I, I really hope you've heard about this, but have you heard about the Virtual Boy? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I, it's essentially the same idea. Yeah. It, yeah. It's a, it, for anyone who doesn't know, the like the Virtual Boy was a console that was released by Nintendo that had like a life of like, I don't even know. It, it came to the market and then died instantly almost. Yeah. Um, in a pool of vomit. In a, <laughs> in a pool of red vomit. Yes. It was completely red. The entire screen was red. It gave people headaches. Yeah. And, but it was a VR headset that, you know, like had a little stand that would exist on a table. And you'd play, and it had a library of like maybe 10 games yeah. until, yeah. It, until, until it bombed. Um, yeah. But like so fascinating that that was tried before. Yep. And... I think the 90s, I think. Yeah. Early, early 90s, 90s. Early 90s, maybe yeah. Maybe like 89. Maybe. Um, and then we're back. Yeah. We're back with <laughs> VR headsets, but now they are, you know, 
it's eight hundred dollars uh, from HTC. <laughs> it's funny looking at media from the time and what people thought VR was going to evolve to. Yeah. Like you got films like The Lawnmower Man, and <laughs> just like, oh man, that's messed up. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to melt brains and and suck people in. Yeah, and you have games like Ready Player One, where it's like you have to be on like a multi-dimension t- trackpad or something right or no uh treadmill yeah um, yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean uh, who knows where it's gonna go um you mentioned um magic leap yes um that they're interesting because they're sort of to me they're kind of the dark horse in the equation mm-hmm. um not a lot of people have gotten their hands on the device um, mm-hmm. to to because they're they're just not available. Yeah, um, they are basically they are are backed by a group of investors that you wouldn't really expect. Like it isn't like big players like Microsoft with Hololens and so forth. Um, I should be getting a chance to try it out. Oh, nice. Yeah, uh, something that um, the organizers of FITC have Mm -hmm. set up. Amazing. So I've got an appointment booked, and I should be able to toss them on and try it out. Um, I'm really hoping, I I think it's probably a long shot, but there's an experience that I saw um, on uh, the Tested channel. Oh, yeah. I believe it was called, like, Project Vicky. Um, And it's essentially um, an attempt to have like a meaningful interaction with a completely digital character using their device. And they did some things that were just really smart. Yeah. um, They they seem like they've done a really good job of recognizing the strengths and weaknesses of the technology. So for example, like when you come in, um, the character will will prompt you, but is quite good about just kind of like waiting patiently f- until you play your part, until mm-hmm. you like figure it out, and then responds to it. So, for example, um, and, and the character um, Vicky, I think the name is, uh, doesn't talk at all. Really? Yeah. So it's all done by like. It, you, you could almost get the sense like she doesn't speak English, like okay. she speaks some, some other language, because everything is done just by gesturing. Oh, really? And sort of like looking expectantly at you to perform some kind of action. Mm-hmm. And um, so you go through this whole experience of like making some art together and so forth, and she'll sort of like, you know, start it and then look to you to sort of finish it. And like as a result, it just seems like an incredibly engrossing experience yeah because they've they've sort of looked in and said okay you know here's what we can do well here's what wouldn't do that well with the technology as it is right now so let's craft it in that direction yeah and um so interesting yeah it it really uh it really looked intriguing something that i'd want to try out um the first time that i tried vr was with uh was I? Uh, I guess it was the Oculus, and um, there were some experiences where I was like, "Okay, this is interesting," but I, you know, I, I don't see so much what the hype is about. It's not that engrossing to me until I tried one experience, which was called um, uh, Titans of Space, mm-hmm. and a fairly simple thing. It just sort of put you in a little pod floating past planets, almost like a planetarium experience. Cool, but that got me. 
because I was like, for the first time ever, I get the scope involved with these planets. Yeah. Like any photo I've ever seen, any two-dimensional image, you know, you, you can't get that sense of scale from it. Right. As you would from literally floating by a planet and then drifting in the sight of another one and, and being able to compare the difference in size between them and feeling like really microscopic next to some of these gas giants and stars mm-hmm. and things like that. And I was like, okay, nothing else could give me this experience mm-hmm. than this. Unless somebody wants to, you know, shoot me out into space. <laughs> but that's not yeah, really. probably not happening anytime soon. Um you know, then then I was like, okay. And like I feel like well done virtual experiences, well done augmented reality experiences are very cognizant of what the strengths and weaknesses of the media are and don't try to put a traditional um paradigm mm-hmm. on something that, that it's not gonna work well. <laughs> So I hope to see more things like that. Um, yeah, it's exciting to me. Um, I I really want to thank you for sharing your experiences yeah, with no it. Um, it's been a while since I did any work in AR, so it's kind of cool to see where it's come and, yeah. and how far it's gone. It's definitely an interesting uh, field. Is um, it something that you, you want to keep working in, you think? Definitely, or? definitely. I think one of my... Uh, priorities is to get better with interactions and coding within Unity mm-hmm. and then apply all of that integrated with uh, more Vuforia related uh, mm-hmm. things. And there's also other w- methods of AR exploration. There's AR Kit, which is Apple's proprietary mm-hmm. AR system, and AR Core for Android. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like it's just a really cool sphere. I think that um, if more companies decide to go down the path of Leap Magic Leap and release more um, augmented reality headsets, I feel like that is bridging on the mixed reality uh, spectrum a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, we should talk a little bit about Lightform, maybe. Lightform, yeah, so that's interesting. Um, so Lightform is projection mapping. Mm-hmm. And um, so projection mapping has been around for a while. I guess you could say it's a, kind of a form of augmented reality in that it is... Um, it's what I would say uh, it falls more on the constructive side of augmented reality than the destructive side. Oh, yeah. It puts a layer um, on top of existing structures. Like uh, on the very large scale, you'd see things like the Guggenheim Museum is brought to life with like vegetation growing all over it and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, even on the smaller scale, like a retail location or something might do a projection mapping experience with their storefront that, um, you know, has famous celebrities walking around or like um, the, the famous uh, Tupac concert after he's dead you know the hologram yeah it's just another variation on projection mapping Mm. um so those things are interesting because they don't really involve any kind of devices or any kind of like um uh you know glasses or goggles or tablets or anything like that uh so what lightform has done is basically um sort of put together the software that you need to do that uh more easily mm-hmm. because it's been kind of difficult to do up to now because um, you essentially have to sort of recreate the physical environment in mm. 3D software and then 
sort of chain together dissimilar softwares to to get your projection matching against that. And if you get it a little bit off, then the whole thing just doesn't work. and so what they've done is... is sounds, that sounds a lot like how I had to tackle my thesis. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. that's it exactly. You wind up like sort of taking these different tools, each of them for a different thing, and then sort of mashing them together to make them work. Um, whereas what Lightform has done is basically um, created one system that it's fully integrated, like right from the hardware to the software. Mm-hmm. So it includes the um, projector, but it also includes um, depth sensing camera so that uh, that information about the environment can get be fed directly into the software. And then the user interface is um, basically tweaked to allow you to easily apply your animations and so forth to that depth information. And the whole, the whole idea is like to put it in reach of the average person so that, uh, you know, let's say it's let's say it's Ronnie's birthday and we're going to have like an awesome party and we just want to do something special with it. So we turn her car into a cake or something like that. You know what I mean? Like like things like that that you can do and um, would usually be out of reach of the the average person it would just be like large companies and concerts and things like that that would do it um so that's exciting they they launched via kickstarter and um uh the units are all sold out right now it's it's hard to get a hold of one but yeah we'll be getting our hands on one because we're we're, uh contributing uh to an installation for fitc where the technology is going to be shown and uh, so we should, fingers crossed, we should be able to hang on to it um, for the fifth when we do our like indie grad show um, out of the uh, CSI space. And uh, for any of the listeners, if, uh, if you are interested in getting a little demo of an augmented reality experience, we're going to have JT, he'll be there, um, and uh, we'll be featuring his work, along with other grads from the program. Uh, Ronnie is going to be there, he'll be showing some mechatronics work, um, which is pretty awesome. We're going to have a, a bunch of cool experiences like that. We're also going to have uh, software developers on hand. If you're from a startup, if you are looking to find hungry, young, uh, and I must say very talented software developers, uh, this is going to be the place to be. So you should definitely come out and check out their work, get an eyeful of the interactive installations as well, and just kind of get uh, get to know the CSI, which is a really cool place. If you haven't been there before, um, CSI has essentially a social mission. Uh, it's a bunch of organizations all working together to just kind of try and fix problems, either through social engineering or uh, in some cases, technical engineering. And in the main floor is where you would find the makerspace, where we're actually recording this right now. You might have heard a little bit of action from the CNC in the background, hopefully not too distracting. But, uh, you know, it's authentic. We record in a makerspace, so you're going to hear tools now and then. Um, so on that note, um, perhaps we'll, we'll wind it up. And uh, it's been great having you on the show. JT, would love to get you on the show again. Uh, we've talked about uh, when Brian gets back, uh, throwing something together with another microphone. Maybe we need a couple more microphones because we also have uh, in the audience tonight uh, Ronnie and would love to chat about her work as well. Uh, she's also from the uh, New Media Program and uh, we've worked together uh, teaching 
uh, Unity game development, actually, last summer, which was a blast. So mm -hmm. hopefully we'll get more chances to do that. Would love to have Ronnie on the show. And uh, for anyone listening in, don't forget, people, I always like to remind you that if you're listening to the show on Anchor FM, you have an option to hit that button and do a call-in. So fire a question at us. If you've got a question about augmented reality, for example, uh, either myself or JT can take that question. And all you got to do is hit the button and we'd be happy to hear from you. So for both of us at Tech Drops and for Brian, who is out there doing his thing and we'll be back next week. And Jeanette, who is off site tonight as well, but we'll definitely be back on the show again. We will bid you a very good day, and we'll look forward to catching you in the next one. Take it easy, people.